0: I'd like to share with you that I've been feeling something about tonight is wisdom and the wisdom of God and what that is and why we need it. And um, that today we went over and saw the house that uh, Brother David and company are building. Blair's working there and invited us to come over and see it. And and I got to meet Titus. I don't think he's Titus here tonight. Um, I hadn't met him. I don't think And uh, anyway he said well I've heard about you and sister Amanda from from uh, uh, from Blair it's all been good <laughs> and, uh, and he said uh, he says that his mom is a really good cook and his dad is very wise <laughs> and I said well I can testify about the good cook part but I don't know about the wisdom <laughs> But anyway, um, and it made me think, I think Jude and Paul both say that God is alone wise. You know, the wisest among us is not really wise. But anyway, I've been thinking about wisdom and, and God. I feel like God has been speaking to me about it. And, and um, could I offer for anybody who wants to give us a concise definition of what wisdom is? Understanding the relationship of all things at one time. Amen. I think that's a pretty good definition to you. It's the capacity to understand how the parts come together to form a comprehensive whole. Right? It's the relationship, as Gabe said. I think relationship is probably the key word to understanding what wisdom is in the first place. Proper relationship. Of the parts to the whole, Amen. And when I think of that, you're probably thinking of it too. But when I think of that, my mind goes immediately to the body of Christ. You know, and and how the parts are supposed to come together. Paul says that God has composed the body just as He wants it to be, so that all the members will have the same care for one another and there will be no divisions among you. That's the purpose of the divine composition of wisdom. I think it says, uh, is it Proverbs or Psalms? There's a passage that says, through wisdom, a house is built, right? And um, you guys obviously know something about the necessity of having the parts come together in just the right way where it's not only functional, it's also beautiful. It serves the house, serves the purpose for which it was made. Only if it's built according to do work. So there is a there is this wisdom that builds a house. And then there are scriptures that contrast that too. I'm thinking of one, and I didn't look it up, but I think there's one that says uh, that a foolish woman tears down her house with her own hands. Amen. Foolishness being the opposite of wisdom that's really all the foolishness is is actions or attitudes or behaviors that fail to see the big picture right it's not just wild silliness like we think of uh, children being foolish or something that is part of it right that's that's foolish because it's not discerning the context or the or the need of the moment right but Foolishness in the biblical sense goes beyond that. Anything that is foolish or is folly is something that fails to keep sight of the big picture. Sister Amanda was already talking about tonight and others of you. And the big picture is where we find meaning. If we lose sight of the whole, we lose sight of purpose. We lose sight of meaning. Meaning we lose the motivation we lose the feeling that really drives all of us you know motive and emotive are obviously almost the same word emotion and motion movement comes when people feel something in their heart that connects them to a transcendent purpose this isn't just confined to to uh, believers it's hardwired into people that you've got to feel like there's a purpose for your life. You know? And so people find that in all kinds of things. But they, the, the, the desire to be part of something that is larger than your little uh, truncated world is what really motivates people. And when we lose, they lose it, it's what causes them to give up. It's what causes people to to lose hope, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Somehow, meaning has escaped, (laughs) you know. And can I ask a trick question? Is wisdom a good thing? I already warned you it was a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) Is it a good thing? yes it depends on whose wisdom it is right. yeah <laughs> that's exactly right we, we all want to say yes because we know what wisdom we're seeking to obtain and it's a wonderful thing it's an absolutely necessary thing it is God himself really but uh, it depends as Brother Tony said whose wisdom is it and this goes all the way back to the beginning Isn't it? Why does it say that Eve took a hold of that other fruit? Because she saw that it was pleasing to the eye and desirable to make one wise. wise. It's the wrong tree. So on the one hand, we have the tree of life, the tree of wholeness, the tree of oneness, the tree of unity. The tree of wisdom of God, where all the parts come together in right relationship and that it allows for life itself to exist. And then we have this other tree that, at least to the mind of man, is desirable because it promises a certain kind of wisdom. It promises a certain kind of picture where all the parts makes sense apart from God. Right? Because everybody longs for everything to make sense. If we lose the, the sense of it, if we lose, then we've lost the meaning of it. And so if we when, it doesn't matter what we're looking at. If we're looking at relationships or we're looking at a, a problem we're trying to solve or we're looking at what's going on in the world or, or whatever we're looking for answers. We're looking for solutions where things go, ah, there it is, cha-ching. You know, it it makes sense now, I get it. Okay, you know. Without that, we feel lost, we feel hopeless, we feel directionless, but when that comes, all of a sudden now, we've we've got a reason to live. We've got motivation, you see what I'm saying? But there is a counterfeit wisdom that comes from right here. The knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It always gets me that Satan did not come to them and say, you know, you could eat of this tree, then you can serve me and you can be evil. I mean, who would fall for that? But instead, he comes and says, you can know for yourself good and evil. In other words, you can have the discernment. You, within your own, between your own two ears, you can figure out what's right and what's wrong. Now, is there a problem with knowing what's right and what's wrong? Is there? I mean, don't we desperately need to know what is right and what is wrong? What is good and what is evil? We've got to know. But the lie is you can know for yourself the difference. You can chart your own course. You can be like God. And in fact, to make it clear why you need to do that, let's talk about God's motives, the serpent said. Let's talk about his motives. Why is he doing this? Why is he constricting you? Why is he confining you to, to, to just this part of the garden and, and saying, that's not for you? There are some things in which you just going to have to trust me. And what I'm telling you is if you eat it, you're going to die. It looks pleasurable. It looks good. It promises a certain wisdom and meaning and, and a picture where Everything works, but the end of the way that seems right to man is death. Amen. Amen. This knowing for yourself is the big problem. And so God in his mercy and in his love warns us and tells us not to eat of it. But the other voice comes and says, why don't you think about that a little bit? Why don't you mull over that? And consider what may be really going on here. Place yourself above God and His Word. Place yourself above His commandments and His order of relationships. Brother Ossie has pointed out something that I, before that I find fascinating, and that is that God did not tell Eve that you may eat of all these trees and not that one. That happened before there was an Eve. God told Adam that. Eve had heard it from her husband. Amen? So the devil is going into the picture and he's saying, Adam might be a little too close to God for this one. But if I talk to Eve, she's going to think, I wonder if Adam got it wrong. You see? He's he's poking away from the very beginning at a given Order of God that God established in his wisdom to cover us and give us life. He's poking away at that and seeing, let's see if we can get Eve to just lose a little bit of trust. Lose a little confidence. And think about this for herself. Does God want us to think for ourselves? another one of those questions I just want to be clear about what I'm not saying I'm not saying that we're supposed to throw away our brains and you know become automatons and, and not consider things and so forth but are we going to trust in it where is our ultimate trust supposed to lie is it in our capacity to figure things out and make sense of the world or our view no that's why God alone is wise you can't get wisdom if, it, if wisdom as brother Gabe said is the, is the capacity to see all of the parts and their relationship to one another then it's impossible for any human to really have wisdom is it not Can I read you from from James? Notice how he starts this. He talks about wisdom. He says, my brothers, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It's not really our gut reaction, is it? (laughs) Various trials, he says. He pretty much throws them all in the same bag. Whatever this trial is, whether it's your temptations or your failures or your persecutions from other people or the hardships of just living in a cursed world or disease or, or tragedy or whatever, count it all joy knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. It's not just your faith that produces patience. It is the testing. It is in the testing of our capacity to believe in spite of everything that is going on. The testing of our capacity to trust God and His Word and His order and His wisdom. Even when everything has gone wrong, the test produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. There's wholeness. There's oneness with God and with each other. Amen. If any of you lacks wisdom, do you think this is connected? This is why we need wisdom. Because if we don't have it, we're going to get off track when things don't go the way we thought they were going to go. We're not going to have joy in the trials. We're going to lose sight of what it's for, of what the purpose is of the things that we're going through. Unless we have this wisdom that keeps hold of the big picture no matter what. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him go to college and study paying attention (laughs) what are we supposed to do if we lack wisdom let him think a lot harder let him invest a lot more time in sharpening up his wits is wisdom being smart is wisdom connected to intelligence there's another one of those questions Yes and no. We can certainly say this much. Intelligence is not wisdom. It is not. In fact, some of the smartest people I have ever met were some of the most foolish in the biblical sense. Their intelligence did not automatically place them in view of the big picture. If you think about it for a second, you could come up with examples too, couldn't you? It's not about getting smart. It's not about, well, on the one hand, the pride of, well, you know, I'm a very perceptive person, and and I think, you know, I know the Bible pretty good, and and I've been around a while, and and, uh, I have insights and things, you know. And uh, the way I see it, you may be set up for a real trap. Because you're going to be more tempted than the next guy to lean on your own understanding instead of trusting in the Lord with all of your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It is not a particular help to be real sharp when it comes to keeping your life centered in God. On the other hand, you can say, well, you know, me, I don't really know. I don't, I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer. Or, I, I you know, so-and-so is much faster at, at this or that. And so-and-so is so gifted. And I'm not really that kind of person. And so I can't really be expected to really get this or really pull through this or really understand what we're talking about or, or anything. So I don't know. I just, whatever. And you're just hiding behind that. Because that's not true either. There is a way, the Bible says, that is marked out as a highway that if a fool walks on it, he will not go astray. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And it doesn't matter what we think about ourselves. That doesn't matter anyway. What does God think about us? And what is His worth us? And that's all we really need to know, isn't it? If anyone lacks wisdom... Let him ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach. And it will be given to him. Sounds simple. What do we need to do if we lack, if we are losing sight of the big picture? What do we need to do? We need to come to God. We need to enter into relationship with our maker and our Savior and ask Him. Because everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks will find. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. So, when we start to slip in the big picture, we got to press into relationship. But let Him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. And let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Okay, so he's talking to us about an attitude that we have got to have if we're really going to get this. If we want to get the big picture that pulls us out of our little narrow hole where we feel stuck, where we feel lost, then we've got to come to God and we've got to ask him. But we've got to ask him in faith.
1: Because if it's a,
0: well, I you mean, know, I tried. I prayed and everything. I felt a little something. But then the next day, I, I don't know, I felt discouraged again. I don't know. I, up and down, back and forth. And he doesn't say that the double-minded man is going to get half of what he needs. He says he's not going to receive anything from God. There's a certain attitude. Faith is an attitude, isn't it? Faith is a frame of mind and heart that, as Hebrews says, those who come to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. For everyone who seeks will find Him. Jeremiah says, in the day that you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. Amen. So there's got to be a faith that believes God and his word and believes that he does have the answers. And that if we could just get closer to him, if we could just open our hearts wider, amen, we could could come back into the place Where we could see again. Where we could feel again. Where the motivation would come back. Let not that double-minded man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. For he is unstable in all of his ways. He goes on to say a few verses later, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the father of lights. It comes from relationship. And not any old relationship. It comes from an ordered relationship. He's good. If it doesn't come from above, it's not good. It's not perfect. It's not whole. The word perfect means wholeness. Literally. Is the comes from the Father and is the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. God is not double-minded. That's why we can't be either if we want to come to Him. And then a little later in James, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct... That his works are done in the humility of wisdom. Can't just be taught. It's got to be that the works that we do are done in the humility of wisdom. Proverbs says, Wisdom is the principal thing, one translation says. It comes first. And he says, um, there's another translation that says something like, the beginning of wisdom is to get wisdom. (laughs) It kind of seems self-explanatory, but he's emphasizing something. He's saying it is primary, it is first, it is the beginning. You've got to know that you need it. You've got to know that you've got to have it. And in order to know that, to know that you need it, You've got to know that in fact you don't have it until you ask God. You know? So the beginning of wisdom, this, this capacity to get the big picture is to admit that we don't have it. We don't see it. We don't understand it. And how can we, being finite and partial as we are, unless we can connect in relationship with the only one who sees the end from the beginning? With the one who knows every step we take before we took it. Amen. What does that psalm say? You know my sitting down, my rising up. Where can I hide from your presence? You knew me before you formed me in my mother's womb. All the days that you prepared for me before they had come to be. Thank you, Jesus. We've got to them and say, search me, oh God. Try me. Know my thoughts. Know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. I can't. How could I know myself? He says, you know this, you know, my bones were formed in my mother's womb. You know, remember the song I'm talking about? I'm not quoting, I know. But he goes on and on about how fearfully and wonderfully we are made or how the body is put together in wisdom, we could say. And he says, such knowledge is high. It is too much for me. I cannot attain it. So search me, God, and know my heart. Thank you, Jesus. That's the only place where we're going to find Him. So we've got to have the humility of wisdom that knows, first of all, that we don't know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, he says, Now we know that we all have knowledge. That's a, that's a starting place. One thing we know is that we all know things. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And then he says, If anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. Okay? He's, in other words, the way I understand that is he's saying... If you're measuring your own knowledge and your own wisdom and assessing yourself, then you're not knowing in the way that God wants to know us and have us to know Him. It's the wrong tree. He knows nothing yet as he ought to know it. But he says, but if anyone loves God, he contrasts this wrong kind of knowledge that puffs up with love. If anyone loves God, This one, he doesn't say, knows God. He says this one is known by God. Thank you, Jesus. As if that were the point. (laughs) Was not what we know, but that we might be known. That we might walk in relationship with God. Abraham, had I known that he might walk before me. That he might instruct his children after him. To walk in my commands and be blameless, or perfect, or whole, or timine. In other words, that he might walk in wisdom. The purpose of the relationship is that we might commit it. That we might become part of the purpose of God on the earth. Amen. 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 That we can see God is why I'm here. This is why you called me. To impart what you give me to my children and those that God brings to me. So that you might have a people on the earth composed by your wisdom to be a testimony to your glory because you alone are worthy. Thank you, Jesus. So James says, let him show by his good conduct that his works are done in the humility of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above. He calls it a wisdom. There is a constellation and a pattern in which things make sense that is not from God. Do you follow that? We have a hardwired innate desire to see things fit. That's why we love art. That's why we love music. That's why we love nature. Because we feel the harmony. We we love to see patterns. When we look at that quilt on the wall, it's pleasing to us because we see all this and it lines up. If that was totally random, we would say, what were they thinking? (laughs) Right? (laughs) We have an innate sense that says things are right when they fit together. But this passage is telling us there is a wisdom that does not descend from above. And he says the problem is when we get bitter, when we get envious, when the leaven of self-seeking comes into the picture, our wisdom gets framed from below. All of a sudden, uh, I get what's going on here. (laughs) Light bulb! I just realized why God told me not to eat of that other tree. It's because he's he's, uh, selfish and jealous of his position, just like I am. And uh, he's trying to keep something good for me. It it all just came into into place. I see it. Why is brother so-and-so harping on me about this again? Why is Sister So-and-So talking to me about this problem in my house or my kids or my whatever? Ah, <laughs> I get it. There's a pattern here. There's a pattern here. In fact, I've heard other sisters imply to me that uh, Sister So-and-So is just kind of like this. You know, she's, she's a little too much sometimes or she's a little too demanding or she's a little too pushy or, or whatever. Sister so-and-so, I kind of went through the same thing. Sister so-and-so kind of said the same thing. There's a pattern here. So now I can write off this concern. I don't need to open my heart. I can rise above this so that I will not understand what God is saying. I will overstand it instead of understand it because I don't have the humility of wisdom. You see what I'm saying? So I I suddenly, I'm seeing it. And if Eve could look at God himself that way, and suddenly, oh, I get what he's thinking. How much easier is it for us to do it with each other? Especially since we're all fallible. And we know that. We're going to see things, we're going to see problems that are real. How's that for complicating the situation? Those whom God has sent to minister to me and to you Have real problems in their lives. They have weaknesses. They have failures. They have imbalances. What are we going to do with that? Are we going to do what Sister Amanda said? And humble ourselves under the greatness of God and say... God, this isn't about what I think about this and how that's going over there. My impressions or my opinions or what I think is maybe I don't think I'm being handled right or I don't think they understand me. God, I'm going to humble myself and come under this beautiful thing that you are doing. And I'm going to begin by acknowledging that I do not see the big picture. I'm going to begin by humbling myself and realizing. That I don't get it. And that it's quite possible that somebody else coming from another angle sees something that I do not see. And I need to resist the temptation to go to that other tree that's much easier, much more desirable to the flesh. Because I can tell for myself what's right and wrong. Thank you. I know I have problems. I'll acknowledge that. See, that shows that I'm humble. But it's not that bad. And it wasn't like that. I mean, I, we know we have needs. But why did they have to say it like that? I mean, that, don't you think that was overdone? I think they're just judging from a distance. Maybe they are, judging. Where's your heart at? Is that the meekness, the humility, of wisdom? If you have bitterness, envy, and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. What comes naturally to you and me the Bible calls demonic. That's because there was a demon in that garden offering us this kind of wisdom. The most powerful force in the world, aside from the love of God, is offering us a view that places us above as a counterfeit for the incredible privilege of being woven into the beauty of the wisdom of God. Thank you, Jesus. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Amen. This is a hopeless task, early ultimately, to find that place where everything fits. We are destined to endless confusion as we struggle to make all the pieces fit. We see a pattern. It's like a puzzle where somebody got a piece in wrong. Have you ever done that? You've been making a puzzle, one of those terrible puzzles where every piece is almost exactly the same. And even the picture that's painted on those pieces, you know, it's like all one color. There are no clues for how to put this thing together. And you struggle and you struggle and you struggle and you struggle. You get out your hammer, you know, make. <laughs> got to work and then suddenly you realize oh this piece doesn't really fit here I don't know where it goes but it doesn't go there well maybe that one that one goes there and the whole puzzle unlocks because there were pieces that were out of place thank you Jesus but as long as it's not really the wisdom of God it's never going to be ultimately consistent it's impossible so you're never going to find peace. You're never going to find blessed assurance. You know, you can approach the Bible that way. You can approach the Bible without a relationship with God. And struggle, Jesus said it to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because in these you think you will find eternal life. But these testify about me, he said. And you will not come to me so that you would have life you won't approach this relationally. Like the relationship is everything. You've got to. What it says here. And it's never going to ultimately come together. Until we surrender to the author Amen. of this book and of our salvation, of our lives. The author and the finisher of our faith. We've got to let him have his way. and We've got to walk with him. Where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there, but the wisdom that is from above is first of all pure. It's not leavened. It's not mostly willing, but with a little gratitude. A little leaven leavens the whole love. It's pure you, Jesus. It is peaceable. It's gentle. Willing to yield. Have you ever been so entrenched in something that you know is (laughs) right? Oh good, I'm not the only one, so you're not. (laughs) You're like, okay, this and that and this and that. But I'm telling you before God, this part is right, and nobody's going to talk me out of it. Maybe so. Is that peaceable? Is that willing to yield? What is the attitude that is going on there? Thank you, Jesus. It is full of mercy and good fruit. It is without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they will be called the sons of God. If you want to come into the house of God and be His children, behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we might be called the sons of God. It is a love from the Father that makes you a peacemaker. That's got to be our goal in everything. God, I'm not here to bring confusion. I'm not here to make a point. I'm not here to show everybody that I'm right. I'm here to bring the peace of God in this situation. I'm willing to yield. God, I'm not going to be partial. I'm not going to, well, yeah, but that's my wife or that's my... God, purge the leaven of our partiality that is not the wisdom of God out of us. Give us a love for the truth. What are these good fruits going to be that come from this wisdom? Are they not the fruit of the Spirit? Amen. Love. Joy. I love the fact that joy is second on the list. Does that characterize your life? Oh, good. (laughs) Does it characterize your life? Is joy an option for you? It's one of those extras that you try to tag on when you're having a good day? Or is joy a fruit of the Spirit that is supposed to be constitutional in your life and my life? We're not talking about life at the party kind of stuff. We're talking about that deep gratitude and sense of privilege and honor and exceeding joy that says, God, how did I get here? How did I land in this building tonight to feel your presence as we sing and worship and hear your words? Thank you, Jesus. Who could ask for more? joy unspeakable if it's not there something is wrong love is first is it there in your conflicts and tight spots and such is love the motivator whether you're trying to minister to somebody God gotta somehow help them how do you do it Is it out of frustration? Well, I can see what the problem is here. Somebody bring a bulldozer and let's get it out of the way. I hate We're always having to deal with this. The person does the same thing every time. May I suggest to you that that's not the wisdom of God? Thank you, Jesus. Do you remember what Paul said in the love chapter? If I have knowledge to understand all mysteries and do not have love, I am nothing. That's what your ministry is without love. Nothing. There's got to be something inside of us that invests our heart in each other. and says, God, this this brother, this sister, my wife, my children, they've got to get it. Not so that I can be right, but so that you can be judged right when you speak. Amen. And so that they can make it. You know, Brother Blair said before, you can't fire your children. Amen. When that thing comes up inside of you that says, this is ridiculous. I just wish they'd go somewhere else. Somebody else can deal with it. Amen. You're missing love that is needed I'm not sharing something with you that God hasn't spoken to me time and again honestly because I felt just like what I just said more times than I'd like to admit You're like, God it's a grief you know that passage in, in Hebrews that says that you should obey those who rule over you for they watch for your souls, and do not make it a grief to them, for that will not be profitable to you. Those of us who are called to minister on any capacity should remember that that's talking to those who are being ministered to. And it's it's making a true point, and that is you are cutting short your chances of hearing the word of God the way you need to hear it when you make it a grief. Because you're gonna place a temptation and a stumbling stone in front of those who minister to give up on you. And if they do, where are you gonna be? But those who are called to minister cannot use that scripture as an excuse. Well, it's their problem. They've made themselves brief. And now I don't even feel like talking to them. So I just want, let's see how it works out for them. Is that how Jesus loved you and brought you into the kingdom? Is that how God looked at the whole world when it was full of sin and He repented that He even made man? Or did He say, I've got to do whatever it takes to communicate to them what's necessary. I will do anything not because I have to Except for this love that is inside of me. Paul says, The love of God compels me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We've become ambassadors in Christ's stead. And so we plead with you be reconciled to God. We are compelled by the love of God. Thank you, Jesus. Where there is no love, there is no wisdom. We have lost the big picture. Where there is no love. Whether we are on the giving end or the receiving end or both. Most of us are on both in some capacity or another. If the love is not there, we have lost the big picture. Because God is love. What are we here for? How can it be God if it's not love? Now, I'm not talking about knowing for ourselves what love is. That's the wrong tree again. That's the wrong wisdom. I just wish people would be more loving with me. You can sit here tonight and listen to this meeting and say, thank God someone's finally ministering to so-and-so about the way that they minister to me because they need a lot more love than they ever showed me. And you have lifted yourself up above the word of God and God's talking to you. But you don't even hear it, if that's how you think. Glad God is finally straightening somebody else out because I don't think they've really loved me the way I need it. I need more back rubs and I need more bubble baths, whatever. <laughs> Sometimes I exaggerate to make a point. <laughs> we can't know for ourselves what love is. How does the Bible say we know what love is? Hmm? There's a passage that says, this is how we know what love is. Remember what it says? Jesus Christ laid down His life life for us. And if He laid down His life for us, then other people ought to do it too, because we're special. No. If He laid down His life for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for one another. Love is always giving. Love is not sitting on the other end and judging. I don't think they love me. Love is saying, oh God, they may have their struggles and they may have their needs and everything, but God, I I love them and I want to help them. I want to be, I want to be somebody that they that they they can come into relationship with. I want to make it easier for them. God, am I part of the problem? When I sit back and say, I feel like they take pop shots at me from a distance. Have you asked yourself why they feel like they have to stand at a distance? Might you have some role in that? What does the Bible say? He who would have friends must show himself friendly. That's pretty simple. This is a two way street. Have you ever heard the story about the guy who was on an airplane and he on a business trip and he comes home and he tells his wife, I sat next to the most unfriendly guy on the plane four hour flight the guy never said a word to me and his wife said "Oh, that's terrible did you try to talk to him he said no what would I have to say to a guy like that it's funny but I think the reason it's funny is because we kind of identify with it sometimes you know and God how open are we you know we, we, somebody tries to come to us to, to reach out just a little bit, you know, and, you know, they try to uh, poke a flower through the keyhole or something, you know, and we say, go away! You know, and then we sit there, nobody cares about me. I'm exaggerating again, but, Amen. You know, we've got to learn to empathize. It's natural to assume that everybody else thinks just the way you do. And that what's easy for you should be easy for them. And that what's difficult for you obviously would be difficult for them too. Why can't they identify with you? You know, but God has composed the body from very diverse elements. And it's supposed to be a beautiful, complementary thing, it's not supposed to be chaos. Have you ever heard people talk about a marriage and, and, they, and they say, <laughs> that husband and wife, they're like oil and water. I mean, they just couldn't be more different from each other and they just, it's a terrible match. They fight all the time. Hopefully you don't hear that too much around here. And then you'll also hear people say, you know, brother, brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so are so different. They're so incredibly complementary. I mean, they're not anything like each other. They so complete each other. Now, what's the difference between those two things? how How come two people who are very different, on the one hand, makes for a terrible union, and on the other hand, makes for a beautiful, amazing union? Is it a thing called love? Is it a thing called humility? It's the humility of wisdom to recognize our own place, Recognize the place of the other and to let love make the whole thing work. Paul says in Colossians, above all things, I don't think the Bible exaggerates, above all things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It is the bond that allows the perfecting process in your life and mine, to work. Thank you, Jesus. You remember the song that says, my foot had almost slipped. I started to get pulled into the wisdom of the world. I started to to see that pattern. Everything goes good for the wicked. Everything's going terrible every time I try to do the right thing. Something's got to give here. I don't know what we need to do, but... Maybe we just need to compromise a few things here or something because this is ridiculous. Every time we, I mean, we try this and we try that and just, we're killed all day long. That is in the Bible, by the way. It says the righteous are killed all day long. Oh boy. Sounds like a life of joy and peace, doesn't it? It's an inner peace. It is a peace peace that Jesus gives that the world cannot give and the world cannot take away. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. It is the wisdom of God that is first of all pure and then peaceable. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, and peace in your life. Not confusion. Not tension. Not anxiety. Not fear. Not striving and struggling in that wrong way. But it is instead saying the only struggle here is to get back in the presence of God. Amen. 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 Look at what Job went through. His trials were ultimately turned to joy, weren't they? Because they produced patience. Behold the patience of Job. He was lacking wisdom, wasn't he? <laughs> he had lots of great friends there to help him get the picture. Well, obviously things are falling apart because you're a sinner. Come on, admit it. He was like, before God, I know it's not this, and I know it's not that, and Why is it right against me? Ah, God. You know? And then he's got his wonderful wife there tearing down the house with her own hands. Why don't you just curse God and die? Quit trying to make sense of this with God in the picture. Just go ahead and let your foot slip. Just abandon the trail. Abandon the the highway. That even a fool can make it on. Just get off the path. Just stop walking in the light. Just do a little giving up. Amen. But there was something that Job said. There is a bigger picture. I know it in my bones. Amen. This is not the end of the story. I know the God I serve too well. I've been through too many things. I've seen too many miracles. I've had too many examples. Amen. i live my life in view of his mercy. Look what he's already done. God come the kid forget your Like nobody in here has ever gone through it. And yet he says, He says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. I think of that other passage in whereas it? it's one of the minor prophets where he says, Though there's no grain in the fields, and there's no cattle in the stall, and there's no grapes on the vine, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. Amen. There's the joy coming through. Cannon joy, my brothers, when you go through trials and the testing of your faith. Amen. If you faint in the day of adversity, it says, it's because your strength is small. Amen. But the Bible tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. There has got to be a connectedness to our Savior that brings the joy that is our strength. It is the joy of relational connection with the God who is love. Thank you, Jesus. Your faith is being tested. Where is your confidence really rooted? Where do you really trust? Do you trust God no matter what? And when he says, don't eat of that tree, you say, amen. God, and you drop it. And you go back to the tree of life. Amen. Or do you say, do you have a, do you have a breaker box in your life? Do you have a tripping point? Right. I'm going to believe, I'm going to trust, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it as long as, as long as, as long as, oh no! Back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Back to knowing for myself and trying to figure it out and trying to make sense of it. I tried that trusting God thing. I tried that it, it, obeying my husband thing. I tried that opening my heart thing. And I mean, I tried and tried and tried. Let me tell you how hard it was. And, but I, you just get to a point, you know, where you got to be realistic. That's the point we foot is almost slipping. Amen. You've gone so far. Are you kind of to stop now. Or are you going to come back into the sanctuary where you understand the big picture? Back at the feet of Jesus. Where everything makes sense because you're with Jesus and He's with you. And that's all that matters. Amen. Paul said, there is only Christ and He is everything. He says in 1 Corinthians 1 that Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God for those who are being saved. He is the wisdom of God. You won't come to Me that you might have life. Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. But He said, I am the truth. This knowing is a relationship where you come back into the presence of God and your faith doesn't fail you. Amen. 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 Remember the Lord's admonition to Peter. Peter, Satan has asked for you. What a feeling that would be. Has Satan ever asked for you by name? I want that one. But Jesus said, but I have prayed for you. Satan has asked for you to sift you like wheat. You just watch. You skin for skin. What will a man not give to save his own skin? You let me at him and I'll show you. This is the challenge as old as Job. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Have you ever felt that feeling? That somebody is praying for you by name. And you know, Jesus Himself is praying for you. Satan may have called your name. Jesus has called your name too. And he is praying for you. He is ever lives to make intercession for all of the saints. He ever lives. Through his body that's still here on the earth. Because we are also called to make intercession for all the saints. Amen. Thank you Jesus. And that's where love comes into the picture. Oh God. We've got to pray the kinds of prayers. That pull people through. When you feel like God has asked for somebody. And he's sifting. I mean I'm sorry. Satan has asked. And he's sifting. And he's sifting. You get on your face. You say God. let me pass the test. God, I can't imagine my life without him. Oh, God, it's going to happen. This is my son. This is my daughter. This is my wife. This is my brother. These are your people. Oh, God, let this test produce patience. Let it produce perseverance. Let it produce righteousness and peace and joy. And you know what? Peter's faith did not fail him, did it? Peter failed. He fell flat on his face
1: three times in
0: a row, hours after Jesus himself had prophesied to him exactly what he was going to do. And he said, what? That's the way it is sometimes, you know. People are always telling... Just knowing what... Well, I know how so-and-so is going to do. You know, they can deny it up and down. But I can see what's in their life. They're going to fall just like this. And there's something about us when people... When we feel like somebody's looking at us like that. We want to say... Wait a minute. I've been walking with you for three years, Jesus. I stuck with you when everybody else left. What in the world... Are you talking about? You think that's the kind of person that I am? I, I've invested all of this and here you are acting like I'm just going to throw it away? I'm not that kind of person. Jesus said, Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Because Jesus loves us enough to tell us the truth. About ourselves, and just because you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not true. What if there'd been a little more humility there? Peter might have been able to bypass a little bit of the trouble and the pain that he caused himself if he'd just been able to believe and trust the one that was speaking. Amen. So he thought he knew himself better than Jesus knew him, and yet there was something about his faith that really didn't fail. Amen? Because after he had done his face plan, after he had to go outside and we bitterly when the very thing that he so denied turned out to be exactly his problem, he didn't give up. He didn't give up. If his faith had been ultimately and only in himself, then what point was there after that? You might as well go do a Judas. So, but that's not what he did. His faith in who Jesus was didn't change. He got a revelation about who he was. It didn't make him love Jesus any less, did it? It didn't make him put less of his hope, less of his trust, less of his confidence in Jesus. The fact that Jesus had been right all along increased his faith. Jesus. And you can imagine what that prayer exactly looked like when he went out and wept bitterly. But I got a feeling he was on his face saying, Oh God, give me another chance. Oh God, this looks terrible now. Jesus is gone and that's it. And this is how it's going to end. Oh God, if there's any way, give me another chance. Please, let me have another chance to come back to his feet. To come back to him that I might have life. That I might get a hold of the bigger picture of Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And God heard that prayer. Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that departs from the living God. Amen. Unbelief is not something that jumps on us in the dark that we should be pitied for. There is something terribly wrong We have a heartland belief. If our faith is shaking in Jesus and we're starting to distance ourselves from his people, something is terribly wrong. Beware. Thank you, Jesus. What do we need to do? We need to come to repentance. That's what we need to do. What happened with Job? I'm going to finish talking about Job. Job's got everything going wrong he slay me I will trust in him I know that my redeemer lives and that though my flesh may be destroyed my eyes are going to behold him on the earth Job knew that the answer was found in the presence of God and he set his heart to seek God until he found him and when he found him what did he hear back patting Oh, Joe, you've done such a great job. Joe, you were right all along. Your friends were all wrong. The whole thing is vindicated. Thank you. Sorry to be disturbed. Is that what he heard? No, sir. He got to hear four or five chapters of wisdom, of the big picture. Where were you when I framed the worlds? Where were you when we put the sea here and the land there? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. It was a humbling thing to come back into the presence of God. But it was wonderful. Amen. Amen. Job said, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I've spoken once. I'm not going to talk again. I'm going to repent in dust and ashes. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. The sweet, sweet answer from God. Is to repent, to find the humility that is real wisdom, to get back on your face and say, "Oh God, have mercy on me. I've been wandering around in my little truncated, narrow, whatever judgmental thinking. I saw the picture, and I okay, I admit that. But this over here is that wide ness. Stop. Amen. You shall know the truth, the painful truth, sometimes." but the truth, and it will set you free. The Bible speaks about salvation in the Psalms as a broad place. Jesus said, narrow is the way that leads to life and broad is the path that leads to destruction. From the standpoint of the flesh, that's the way it feels. If you've got too much room for the flesh, you're on the wrong road. But it also says, in the Psalms, it says, you delivered me. You delivered my soul from death. And you brought me out into a broad place. That's that feeling when you come into this gate. Oh God, I feel like I can see you forever. Amen. In your spirit, you get out of your pinched, tight, confused anxieties. And you come back to the foot of the cross. Amen. Not the persuasive words of man's wisdom. Amen. Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Christ Christ. And him crucified. This is the love of God. This is how we know what it is. This is how we know how we ought to also lay down our lives. This is the answer. Christ crucified is the wisdom of God and the power of God. Amen. And that's called repentance death to yourself. Back on your face where you are small. You become blessed so he can become great. And here comes this big picture again. You say, Thank you, Jesus. You set me free. You brought me out. You placed me where I can see, where I can live, where I can believe, where I can trust, where I can love again. Amen. If you feel like you lack this wisdom tonight, all you've got to do is ask God. You've just got to come to Him. And you've got to ask Him because He's going to give it to you liberally. Amen. Don't have this tiny, weak, false faith that believes for a little improvement. Amen. We've got to believe that he is.
1: That he's going to reward us when we diligently seek him. We've got to believe.